Good morning. Good morning. We're glad you're with us online, and um, I'm excited to be with you this morning and talk about uh, Joseph. We've been in a series called Exiles. How do we live a godly life in a culture that is increasingly ungodly? And so today we're going to look at Joseph. He gets 14 chapters in the book of Genesis, so we're not going to cover 14 chapters today, but he's an important dude. And um, we're going to look at uh, how, how we can uh, learn from Joseph. Last week, uh, after a great start from Jamie two weeks ago, last week Lewis uh, challenged us with the life of Abraham. Uh, Abraham didn't start great with uh, the disobedience on Lot, but he really finished strong. And Lewis told us, hey, expect opposition, let your light shine, and remember, when you walk into a room, you're carrying the kingdom of God. And so I love that message, and I love how we're going to be able to build on that with Joseph today. I asked my granddaughter, Tilly, what she got out of the message last week at lunch after service, and she said, Papa, I'm never going again. I'm never going to go to Las Vegas. <laughs> so I got a picture of Las Vegas up there for you. Uh, we, we are never going to Las Vegas. So uh, let's not expect it to get easier. Uh, let's expect it to be continually difficult. And so, Brandon, I think you've got something for us on that one. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I just read The Cost of Discipleship, um, part of it for the second time, but most of it for the first time. And uh, just this quote uh, sounds like it was written in the last few weeks even. Uh, It says, it was written in 1937, we are approaching an age of widespread persecution. Therein lies the true significance of all movements and conflicts of our age. Our adversaries seek to root out the Christian church and the Christian faith because they cannot live side by side with us, because they see in every word we utter and every deed we do, even when they are not specifically directed against them as a condemnation of their own words and deeds. And uh, I think this goes well with uh, Lou's message last week about uh, just we're not, we're really not of this world, not meant to live of this world. So uh, I, just, I just thought that was uh, really poignant by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you haven't read his stuff, you should. It's, it's guy, that guy was, was amazing. Um, mm. So we're going to break this message up into three parts this week. And uh, we're talking about Joseph, as was mentioned, uh, a God's man in exile, and the first, uh, the first part is the story, and, and Dee's going to go through his story uh, from chapters 37 to 50. Um, I encourage you to, it'll only take you like 10 minutes to read all that, so go ahead and check that out after church today. Uh, not true, not true, it takes a little while, but, um, yeah. but it's really good. I, I, um, so he's uh, the despised dreamer, uh, he went from despised dreamer to hero. And then the second part is exalted by God and how Joseph evokes Jesus, just the ways that they're stories have some parallels in them. And then three, the lessons applying Joseph's story to ours. And there are, I hope that you don't have to be in prison for 13 years um, before um, you get to see uh, some awesome fruit, but um, there's probably some suffering that you've had or you, or you will have where hopefully you'll get to experience God's goodness through it. So That's, that's, gonna that's take a hard word, time. Brandon. <laughs> yeah. That's a hard word, but it's true. It's not going to be easy. So let's look at his story. And uh, Genesis 37 uh, to 50. So he begins, we see the story of him receiving dreams from God that he's going to be uh, leading his brothers and even his mom and dad. Uh, He's in a dysfunctional family. What do I mean by that? Well, for starters, Jacob has four wives. So if you want to create sibling rivalry, just have four wives and have kids with each of them and then let them battle out for who's going to be, who's going to be uh, the heir and how much of the heir they're going to get. But his brothers were also not exactly uh, the best names in the, in the flock, so to speak. So Reuben uh, gets involved with uh, his dad's concubine, uh, Simeon and Levi make a deal with the men of Shechem and then go kill them all. Uh, and then Judah, of course, uh, has uh, uh, sex with his daughter-in-law and produces uh, Perez, who would be 
the continuation of the line of Jesus. It's amazing how God brings uh, his purposes out of all of this human sin and destruction. And if you think your family is dysfunctional and God used them, so that's pretty... Yeah. <laughs> so that. That, that's the background. Of course, these guys hate Joseph because Jacob has made Joseph his favorite and everybody knows that. Um, and, you know, you, you, may, you may have had that discussion in your family. We have that discussion all the time in our family. Uh, but who's the favorite? And, um, Mariel. you know, yeah. Mariel, yeah. That's what she's saying over there. So, uh, you know, we go from there, and they sell him into slavery. Uh, Potiphar buys him. Potiphar's wife takes a shine to him. Potiphar's wife accuses him of trying to uh, attack her. He gets thrown into jail. Uh, the warden takes care of him and brings him up. The cupbearer and the baker of the king get sent to jail. They have dreams. Joseph interprets their dreams. The cupbearer continues to serve the king but forgets about Joseph. And then finally, the king has some dreams. Pharaoh has some dreams. And the cupbearer finally remembers Joseph. So he's in jail for somewhere between 10 and 13 years age 17 when he's sold into slavery, age 30 when he starts working for Pharaoh, and God exalts him in front of uh, Pharaoh, and Pharaoh puts him in charge of the entire Egyptian operation and the plan to deal with this coming famine, seven years of plenty, seven years of famine, and that causes Jacob's uh, family to want to come to Egypt to buy food because there's a famine. So they come to Egypt once, they come again twice with Benjamin, they come a third time with Jacob, and now the whole nation of Israel is living in Goshen, being fed by Joseph. Uh, Jacob blesses Joseph, gives him a double inheritance because he counts Joseph's sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, as his own sons. So Joseph ends up getting a double share of the inheritance, and Joseph blesses his brothers at the end and dies knowing that he's going to be leaving, uh, his bones are going to be leaving with the Israeli people when they go into the exodus, and his bones will eventually be buried in the, in, the, in the Holy Land. So let's just look at some highlight scriptures from that section. Joseph knew God's presence and his grace. We see here that uh, three times in Genesis 39 and Genesis uh, later in 39, verse 20, and later in 41, the Lord was with Joseph uh, so that he prospered, so Potiphar put him in charge. Then later on in that chapter, but while Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him, so the warden put him in charge. And then when Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, you will be in charge. So all through this trial, this 13 years of trial, Joseph is seeing the hand of God. And so we don't have any re recording of him having bitterness excuses, seeking revenge. He's just walking with God, and God is taking care of him, and he's being trained to trust God. God's going to take care of him. Joseph also gave glory to God. He could, he could have really been a big shot, but he remained humble. Uh, he didn't take any credit. He even said when Potiphar's wife was uh, propositioning him, he said, uh, that would be horrible because Potiphar has trusted me with his whole household, you know, but he, he also focuses on, I couldn't ever do such a wicked thing like that against God. And then when he's interpreting the dreams for the first time, he says, hey, all interpretations belong to God. And then again, uh, in 41, he says to the Pharaoh, I can't interpret your dream uh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So Joseph is always giving glory to God, not taking credit for this amazing spiritual gift he has to receive dreams and to interpret the dreams. And those are spiritual gifts that are still alive and well today in the body of Christ. And then finally, uh, Joseph did his job well. He walked in faith. He loved and blessed others. He did his work uh, wisely and humbly, and he recognized God was sovereign, God was merciful, God was just, God would take care of him, so that the author of the Hebrews would say, by faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt, 
and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. So that's part one. You know, not watching Jacob or Joseph learn to walk with God and to do so humbly and trusting in God's sovereign protection and sovereign walk with him. Yeah, so uh, part two is Jesus evokes, or how Joseph evokes Jesus, how the, their stories have, have a lot of parallels. And uh, I, I, I studied Joseph. I just kept reading over and over uh, the really Genesis 25 to 50, I think about, uh, I don't know, maybe 12 years ago. Um, and one, of the, one thing that jumped out at me that gave me, that made me think about this is it says when Joseph, basically, Joseph started with Pharaoh when he was 30. So his ministry started at age 30. And I'm like, oh, well, that's like Jesus. Okay, let's see what else. And so um, just started looking for things where their stories are the same. And so the object, uh, the first one, the object of their father's love, special love. And um, Jesus was the object of his father's special love. He, you know, in, in um, Matthew 3.17 uh, where he, he gets baptized by John the Baptist and comes down, this is my son whom I love and with whom I'm well pleased. Um, and so as I go through these, I'm going to kind of cite some of the stuff about Jesus. We just heard Dennis talk about some of the things with Joseph, so uh, hopefully you track. And then uh, they were both sold for pieces of silver. Uh, Joseph was 20, Jesus was 30, but, uh, and, and they were sold by, the, uh, by a uh, brother named Judah. And Judas is Judah in Greek. So... Um, I didn't really, I didn't pick that one up until recently. They both started their ministry at 30. Um, they both were promised authority and accused of being delusional. And in John 1, it calls Jesus the Word, and um, the Word is uh, pretty good authority. And both, Jesus many times was accused of being delusional mm -hmm. throughout, uh, throughout his journey. They both resisted temptation and falsely accused and imprisoned. In Matthew 4, Jesus resisted some pretty big temptation after his 40-day uh, fast was coming to a close, and, he's, uh, and, and Satan is trying to tempt him with whatever he wants. That would be, that'd be tough to pass up, um, but he did it. And uh, the Potiphar and Pilate both knew that these, these guys were accused and both knew their innocence, but they caved. Uh, both you know, Potiphar to his wife's pressure and then uh, Pilate to political pressure. And in Matthew 27, 24 to 26, he, he doesn't have, he's like, I don't find anything wrong with this guy, but you guys don't want him. Okay, go ahead and, go ahead and crucify him. Pretty weak. Um, they were both stripped of royal robes that became bloodstained. And in Revelation 19, 13, it talks about Jesus, when he comes, his, his robe will be dipped in blood. And when uh, it was, you know, they, the, the brother, Joseph's brothers dipped his, his colorful coat in, in blood also to kind of fit, try to lie to their dad and say, hey, this uh, goat's blood, this is Joseph's, I think. So, uh, mm -hmm. and then uh, the, ne so the, the next slide is, uh, it says, do whatever he says was spoken about both of them. If you recall, in, when Jesus performed his first miracle, Mary is talking to the, the wedding attendants when he's getting ready to turn the water into wine, and she says, just do whatever he says. And Pharaoh says the same thing about, about Joseph when he, because he realizes the Spirit of God is on him. And they were both delivered up to the Gentiles and yet blessed them. In the Great Commission, Jesus tells us to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So he's blessing everyone, Jews and Gentiles there. They both provided hungry people with bread. Jesus literally did that a few times with feeding 4,000 and 5,000 out of someone's lunch, lunch box. He's like, all right, here you go. Everybody eat. And Joseph's main job as, you know, when he, after those dreams, Pharaoh put him in charge, was managing the, the grain situation. It was one of the big things that he did for the seven years. He, you know, he... he, he made sure that they, they kept enough grain to get them through for the next seven. And so he literally provided people with bread. They stood before rulers and yet gave God glory. Their power was acknowledged by those in authority. And uh, in John chapter 3, the story of Nicodemus, he starts off his conversation with Jesus. Um, we know that you mm. are 
uh, a teacher who has come from God. And John, the, that story of Nicodemus is really special because uh, like as a year ago last, last week, our oldest son Luke, we were reading that scripture at the table and he gave his life to the Lord through that story of just wondering about being born again. So I love that part. Um, Amen. Yeah. So um, they were both exalted by God after accepting painful humiliation. We know that Jesus, obviously after he was crucified, he came back to life and um, he was exalted by God after that, obviously, and uh, Joseph after his, his 13 years. And they both saved rebellious brothers who acknowledged them. And I think it's a really cool picture of when Joseph's brothers come to him. They don't know who he is, but this is, this is more than 20 years later. So he had 13 years of imprisonment, seven years of the good times, and then there were probably a few years into the bad times when all their personal stores ran out. So this is 20-some years later, and he, he blessed his brothers. And I was, as I was looking at this, I was thinking, okay, who, who, uh, which brothers um, did Jesus acknowledge? Or which of his rebellious brothers did he acknowledge? And his brother James, who was his, you know, his earthly brother, same mom, maybe I think different dads, but, um, but he, he, didn't, he didn't believe Jesus through uh, when Jesus was, before he was crucified. And then after Jesus came back, then he acknowledged that he was the Christ. And I didn't, and call me uh, behind on my, on my Bible knowledge, but I didn't realize until very recently that that's the same James that wrote the book of James. It wasn't the apostle James, you know, the you know, it wasn't son of Zebedee James. And all Paul, when he's talking about James as being this, this great leader, he's talking about Jesus' brother who didn't believe in him while he was alive the first 30 years. And uh, I just think Amen. that's a, an amazing story of redemption. Um, so, so you're saying there's always a chance. There's always hope. Amen. Even for you. And you and you and you. Hallelujah. Why don't you tell us about uh, the, or actually, well, so three lessons uh, from Joseph, real quick. He didn't hold grudges. He forgave and he blessed. And that would be pretty easy to hold a grudge against brothers that decided, they were, instead of killing you, they, they sold you into slavery. That's, that would be easy to hold a grudge for that. Walk with God in humble gratitude. And he wasn't so humble at, as a 17-year-old when he's talking about how his brothers and his father are going to bow down to him, and he's strutting around with his, with his colorful coat, which I kind of think of that as like a quilt, so I don't think of that as being as cool as it probably was, but I'm just trying to think of what, how would they make this colorful coat back then. Um, but through the process, he, he, got so mu- he gained so much humility that God used him so much. And then the trust... Trust God to bring good from all things. And as I mentioned before, that just 20 plus years later, he told his brothers that the, what you meant for evil, the Lord redeemed and he meant for good. He used for good. Amen. Yeah. So with that sort of big picture of who Joseph is and uh, how he compares to Christ, how he evokes Christ, let's just look at three specific Lessons learned. And let's start with number one, uh, not holding grudges, uh, forgiving people and moving on and blessing them. Uh, in, in the scriptures, we're encouraged to forgive freely, to recognize that our forgiveness is given because we have, we have to acknowledge our own sinfulness and our own need for forgiveness, therefore giving that to others. Not letting a bitter root take hold in our hearts Asking God how we can be a blessing uh, in all circumstances, which usually involves loving and serving, and recognizing we're going to we're going to make we're going to sin, we're going to make mistakes. So Joseph had plenty of reason to hold a grudge. He had mm-hmm. plenty of reason to uh, be the victim. He had plenty of reason to complain and grumble. Uh, and yet, the highlight of his story is this. Uh, constant uh, willingness to uh, step in wherever he was to serve and for the benefit of others. Uh, in in uh, Matthew eleven twenty five, it says, and when you stand praying, 
If you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Now, I remember a story. Uh, we were uh, near the end of a service, and uh, we, there was worship music going on like there will be this morning in a few minutes. And uh, somebody came up for prayer, and it doesn't happen very often, but in this particular day, I just saw the word unforgiveness on her forehead. So I said to her, hey, uh, how can we pray? And she said, well, I've got arthritis in my hands, and it's killing me. And, uh, and so I just said, is there anyone in your life that you need to forgive, that you need to let go of a, a grudge? And immediately, she was in tears, and immediately, she said, my brother. And so she said the story briefly, and then I said to her, are you willing to give that to Jesus um, and hand it over to him. You're not approving of what your brother did. You're simply transferring the debt to the one uh, who manages all debt and letting him do whatever he wants to do with that. So she said yes. So she forgave her brother. So the next morning, Monday morning, she called me around 10 a.m. and she said, you're not going to believe this, but my hands are completely pain-free, completely pain-free. And, and this connection between the body and the spirit and the body and the soul, this has been established uh, in the academic circles. We, we know these connections exist, and they, ex they exist in the spiritual realm. So that is, that is you know, the, the reason to forgive is for our own good. It isn't for the, the, the benefit of the person seeking forgiveness. It's for our own good, so we're not harboring that, that weight and that, mm -hmm. that, that striction of, of life. Uh, and, of course, we know from Jesus teaching us the Lord's Prayer that if we don't forgive, then our sins start piling up because He stops forgiving when we're not forgiving. So then we become, we, we go into spiritual checkmate. So, uh, the, the second part of that is to be able to actually pray for, in this case, her brother's blessing. To just pray for his blessing. You may not know exactly what that means, but just pray that God would bless him. And uh, over the years, that relationship was restored. It didn't happen overnight, but it was restored. So the second piece of that blessing is to be actively engaged in blessing our community. And uh, so... Uh, Jeremiah, when they went into exile, when they, when they went to live in a, in a godless culture um, or a, an idolatrous culture, I should say, there are plenty of gods, uh, he told them to go about your business, get married, build houses, and in Jeremiah 29 he says, um, to all those that I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And this is where we come into our partnerships uh, in our city with the Lord's Gym and City Gospel Mission and the other ministries that we are involved with in the city. This is where uh, our partnership with New Mission Missionary Baptist Church comes in. This is where the prayer canopy comes in, where we pray every third Monday for the, for the well-being of our city. Those prayer guides are on the Connect desk if you want to get one, um, where we uh, love our city and our neighbors. And that's where uh, inviting people into our homes comes into blessing our neighbors and being a source of blessing. So that's, that's the, the, the way that Joseph shows us through these chapters. It's the way of Jesus, and it's the way that we can uh, remember and apply, you know, that in, even in our difficulties, we can be an incredible blessing to others. Yeah, the second point is... Um Walk with, humble, walk with God in humble gratitude. And in, uh, give thanks in all circumstances. 
receive grace, seek to grow in humility, not condemnation. Ask, God, ask how God may be training, disciplining, or preparing you in every situation. And I've had some situations in my life where, you know, I needed God to humble me. And when I was uh, in my 20s, I went through uh, a lot of ups and downs financially. And um, the, some of the, and the, I mean, there were actually, it was, kind of, it was a pretty much a roller coaster ride. And it kind of came to a culmination in early, my, or in my late 20s, where things just started getting rough for me. And I just, Money was an idol for me. I, I, um, I just, yeah, what I, you know, for whatever reason, uh, I just decided that I wanted to have money and I wanted mm-hmm. to look like I had money. And so what, what the Lord was trying to, te- he, he was trying to teach me a whole lot through that. And in order to do that, he, he, I kind of, I, I had to go pretty far down. I, I actually ended up filing bankruptcy and uh, I lost the house that I was living in. And it was, you know, go, going through the, you know, the 2005 uh, and then, then 2008 issues, and um, I just, I, I, my foundation was built on sand at that point, and, but looking back as, I, you know, I, I moved into my 30s, and I got married, started having a family, and bought a business, the, the Lord really wanted to show me some things before I got to that point in my life. And so I'm on a much stronger foundation now. I'm not perfect, but um, that is, um, it's, it's really great to be able to look back and see suffer, how suffering, how God used that. And what the enemy or the world meant for bad, whatever that is, the, the Lord can use for good. And uh, so I'm really thankful for that, for that period of my life. I'm really thankful that I had to file bankruptcy because you know, I know what it's like to come to see, you know, the grace of God on the other side. First mm-hmm. uh, Peter 5, uh, 6 and 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And um, then we were, uh, Dennis and I both read this book recently. It's uh, by a guy named Jerry Bridges. And uh, this, uh, uh, it's called Trusting God. And uh, I just want to read a quick quote from this. And it says, We are to accept adversities in life, but not the anxieties. Our tendency is just the opposite. We seek to escape from or resist the adversities, but all the while cling to the anxieties that they produce. The way we cast our anxieties on the Lord is through humbling ourselves under his sovereignty and then trusting him in his wisdom and love. Humility should be both a response to adversity and a fruit of it. Our goal in life, your goal in life, I will speak for you, should not be to avoid suffering. If, when, if, we, if our goal is to avoid suffering, we're pretty much avoiding growth. We don't grow when we're doing awesome and everything's perfect. You might, you might see some little things that are, that are good, but we, we need to, we, the Lord has, there's going to be suffering. That's how he uses to, to grow us. And so I, I just, what if while going through trials, Next time, instead of, you know, sitting in your poopy diaper, woe is me. What if you ask God, what do you want me to learn here? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not a diaper, but I think all of us have been in that moment where we're sitting in our woes Mm -hmm. and we're allowing ourselves to enter into that victim mentality um, how me why me uh, and so forth so that brings us to the third part which is this notion of trusting God to bring good from all things and and this is not a promise um, for every person in creation this is a promise for those who love God right Mm -hmm. and uh I think of our study that we did at the beginning of the year, uh, Astonished, where we looked at the qualities of God and we looked at his omnipotence, his omnipresence, his omniscience, and his sovereignty, his control over every sparrow that falls to the ground, every drop of rain that falls, he is 
He is managing that. And so trusting God to bring good from all things uh, causes us to look at how has God used suffering and hardship in your life. And if you haven't, I'm sure you have, look back and see how God brought things out of that difficult time. Uh, are you, and, and I think the invitation today is for us to be, become absolutely convinced that nothing in your life happens without God's active role in bringing it about or his active permission of it if it has an evil origin which he's incapable of. And so I think about that question of our view of God and our view of the things happening in our lives. And as, as Brandon said, as he finished his last point, you know, what, what is he trying to do here? What is he trying to bring about? And uh, I can think of the earthquake in Japan that led, that was a highly destructive time in, in our lives, highly, highly uh, disconcerting and stressful. And then I know that that eventually led to, to my salvation. Uh, if I think about the, the 20,000 or so people who died in that earthquake, I can also know that some of those died without Christ. And that, that brings, that brings uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of incredible gratitude to, to, to what God did in that situation. Um, Marianne receiving uh, a diagnosis of breast cancer for the second time in her life uh, 18 years ago and how that led uh, to all kinds of positive transformation in her life, in our marriage, and then eventually led us to be here. So uh, we don't know how God is at work, but Joseph iterates twice, once to his brothers, or both times to his brothers. In the first time in Genesis 45, he knew, he could just knew without a doubt as he talked to his brothers, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all of Egypt. Joseph knew God had brought that about for the benefit of his family. And then later in Genesis 50, uh, he humbly accepts uh, the circumstances, his brothers are worried and in fact are thinking he's now, that Jacob's died, he's now going to revenge, have revenge on us. And he says to them, uh, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. So Paul, aware of all these stories and even the move of God in his own life, would write to the church in Rome. He would say, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And by the way, I wouldn't drop this verse on somebody in the middle of their suffering. Uh, that can sound trite. But uh, it's really good to consider when you're when you're in a level place, it's really good to remind yourself looking back and looking forward that this is true and that this will be the way that God works with us. So Jerry Bridges, again, in the book Trusting God, which I really recommend, uh, he's a longtime navigator uh, who's now passed away, but he says this, to derive the fullest comfort and encouragement from Romans 8.28, and thus to give thanks in all circumstances, we must realize that God is at work in a preactive, not a reactive fashion. That is, God does not just respond to an adversity in our lives to make the best of a bad situation. He knows before he initiates or permits the adversity exactly how he will use it for our good. Mm -hmm. So live confidently in God's sovereign grace and his sovereign authority over our lives. That's the message of Joseph, uh, that we don't uh, carry grudges, that we receive what he has for us humbly and gratefully, 
and that we grow in trust of his sovereign capability and his sovereign goodness to bring about the things he wants in our lives. So we're going to call the worship team up now and we're going to come into a time of communion as we think about the last few uh, minutes that we're going to be together. And I really want to invite you to uh, step into this time. We are going to be uh, served. There will be people serving communion. We're going to be served the, the bread and the juice, which is the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus, which he initiated on the night before he died as the full payment of our sin. It may be that you're here this morning and you have never received the full payment of your sin. You have never repented of your sin and turned from your sin. Well, I've got good news for you. If you do that, you will be forgiven and you will be brought into God's family. And uh, if you want to do that, the prayer teams are there, uh, will be here with, with you and for you and uh, on each side. But also, as we go through this, let's look at some of the applications we had and some of the things you might be able to uh, leave here as you exchange um, uh, your sin and your challenges and receive back the glory of God. So we've got a list of things up here. Um, you want to walk through that first one, Brandon? Yeah, so releasing unforgiveness and bitterness. And remember, unforgiveness doesn't, is not really for the person, it's for you, if, if you need to forgive. And holding on to that bitterness is, is so destructive. We talked about J Joseph's service and his willingness to serve in, in Potiphar's household, in the, in the prison, and in the service of the Pharaoh. Maybe today the Lord is speaking to you about mm -hmm. activating a true heart of service um, uh, in this community and in your home uh, and in your life. Yeah, um, casting anxiety and fear on the Lord. I was going, recently uh, I was going through just having a lot of anxiety and sometimes, you know, you just have a bunch of things overlap and build up. And I was just like, okay, Lord, I really need you, but I don't, I don't actually know how to do this. Like, I'm not very good at casting my fears and anxieties on you. And I just said, but I want to do that. And I prayed about that, and that's what happened. And I, I still, I kind of walked away, okay, I still don't know how, but hopefully he'll show me. And I recognized a few days later, like, oh, that actually happened. He did that. And I, I didn't have to do anything but say it. So he just, he really loves me. Uh, serving well with our spiritual gifts. Uh, we talked about some of Joseph's spiritual gifts, and he used those in the service of others for the glory of God. And so you may have a spiritual gift that you're not using. Uh, we're going to do a series on spiritual gifts. That's going to be our fall series starting on the 19th of September, and we're going to activate and train and equip people to use their spiritual gifts so that's another opportunity even today to decide, wow, I need to make it my business over the next month to figure out my spiritual gifts and to figure out how I can serve with them. And lastly, just believing God's sovereignty and goodness. And it may be uh, just a prayer with our prayer teams after you've had communion to say, I want the revelation of God's sovereignty and goodness. I don't have that today. I don't fully believe that. And I want the revelation of that in my life. So, Father, Amen. as we come now in a time of worship with you, a time of celebrating communion, uh, Lord, we bless your name. We invite your presence. Uh, Lord, and I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would work with each person according to your work in their lives, that you would have your way. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship the Lord, and when you're ready, the communion table is open.
Thank you for saving me. What can I say? You are my everything, and I will sing your praise. You shed your blood for me. What can I say? You took my sin and shame, a sinner called by name. Praise is the Lord.
Thank you, Lord Jesus, that there's power in your name. 
that you are sovereign, that nothing happens in our lives that you haven't initiated or permitted, and that you are constantly working for our good. So we praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness of sin, uh, the righteousness imputed to us now as we leave from here, filled up and cleansed and ready for another week uh, in a culture around us that is increasingly hostile. So go with us, Jesus. We thank you for your presence. Amen. Church, let's do this uh, benediction slide here. Um, let's speak this over each other uh, as we go from here. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Be blessed as you go this week. Bring the kingdom wherever you go. You are dismissed. Have a great week.